I'm a real big stickler on making sure that I'm always evaluating and looking at my metrics and my profit margins. I literally have them like plastered on my living room walls. Kind of like visual management boards is what we used to do in corporate. That's what I did in my business. And I started seeing that the effort that I was putting in was not producing the expected return on investment and the profit margins. When I really started looking at all the offers I was creating and how much revenue was generated, what the profit margins were of each just wasn't adding up. More is more when it comes to building products and making money, right? Well, that's what I thought at the beginning of 2016. I can distinctly remember creating a spreadsheet of everything my company was going to offer throughout the year. There was a course on selling, a coaching program on course design, a high-end mastermind program, our signature business coaching program, a retreat, and more. I was planning a sales campaign every six weeks for 12 months straight. My goal? To cross a huge revenue threshold that I'd been working toward for years. Now, maybe it goes without saying, but my plan did not come to fruition. By the second sales campaign, what had been a carefully engineered business model turned into a muddy and overwhelming mess. More is not more when it comes to building products and making money. Now, of course, it's easy to make that mistake. You're listening to What Works, the show that hosts honest conversations about what's really working to run and grow small businesses today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Within 10 months of setting out on this plan to offer hashtag all the things, I had come to my senses and streamlined our business model to focus again on one core offer with maybe one or two complementary offers to provide a deeper level of service. The business started to feel cleaner. Our mission became clearer. Our value proposition felt locked in. It was a painful but important lesson in the art of decluttering a business. Now, over the next seven episodes, we're going to explore how small business owners do more with less. Think of it as a little business spring cleaning. Now, today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Jerisha Hawk, who got real with me about a similar experience to mine, thinking that more offers would mean more money. When she realized that just wasn't happening, she went back to what she knew best, focused on a single offer, and made bank. Keep listening to hear how Jerisha approached her business before her own decluttering, what prompted the shift to a single offer, the role her minimum viable audience played in her decision-making, and how she retired her old offers to make the space for what was working. Do you have a story about decluttering or tidying up your business? Have you eliminated things that weren't working to focus on what was? I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on Instagram and share what's working for you. Tag me at Tara underscore McMullen and use the hashtag explore what works. Now let's find out what works for Jerisha Hawk. Jerisha Hawk, welcome to what works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am beyond excited to be here. Like I mentioned before, I've been girl crushing on you since I pretty much started my business. So it's an honor. Well, it is an honor to have you here. And I'm really, really excited about today's topic because we're going to talk about how you've streamlined your business model, specifically how you've streamlined to, to focus on helping people sell their services, which I think is really, really important in uh, kind of in the stage of business that we're in today or the the 
kind of the era that we're in right now, especially in the digital small business world. Um, and since we're talking about streamlining today, I think we better start off by really getting clear on all the things you were doing before you got all nice and streamlined. So what did your business look like before you pared down to your one core offer? I was doing pretty much anything that you could think of under the sun. I was trying to sell it. So, you know, coming from an engineering corporate background and getting introduced to this online world, it felt like the wild, wild west to me. Um, and when I started watching these other online experts and like everybody was telling you how you're supposed to do it, you know, what I saw successful that was successfully working for like the seven and eight figure online business owners um, was they had these multi-tier offers. So I created a membership site. I had one-off digital courses. I was doing one-on-one -on -one programs. I was selling a group coaching program, a mastermind program, like pretty much anything that could have been packaged into some vehicle that could have been delivered. I was trying to do it and was doing it. And it was not really, like, you know, I was trying to mimic what I saw the millionaires doing and wondering why it wasn't working for me. And that's when I really noticed that like something, I have to change something up. Like I'm trying to mimic what I see somebody doing at step 15 and it's not really working for me here at step one, two, and three. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get into that moment that you decided to really pare down, to really get down to that, that one thing that was going to work. But before we get there, I want to dig into a little bit about what you noticed wasn't working for you. Because of course, the, the fun flip side of talking about what works is also talking about what doesn't work. And like you said, there are lots of seven and eight figure businesses that sell all sorts of different things. They package and repackage and repackage again. They're constantly developing new products, new offers, and clearly something is working there. What do you think, and maybe you alluded to this with the, you know, they're on step 15, you're on step one, two, three. What do you think was sort of at the heart of why that approach didn't work for you at that time? Yeah, I was trying to be everything to everyone, you know, and I think at the time I really didn't have a clear understanding of what problem I was actually solving with the services that I was providing. So I think in the beginning, like, I think as an expert or as somebody who has knowledge and has a skill set that's interested in departing on that to somebody else, we know how to do what we do really, really well. That's completely different than being able to communicate the value of what we do so somebody else understands. Um, and not just so they understand, but to get somebody else to a point where they understand how you helping them is going to help them survive or thrive and they're willing to actually pay for your services. And that was where my huge disconnect was. You know, I was at the time trying to serve too broad of an audience, in my opinion. Like I was like, I'm, I'm here for any woman who's trying to, you know, start a business and be empowered. And like, that's literally like millions of people. Like what it wasn't really clear what I was actually doing or what problem I was solving. I think that was the biggest problem that I had is that I hadn't yet figured out how to communicate my value. And I was really scared to like say, this is who I'm for, but this is who I'm not for. I was more scared of the latter. Like I was scared of, I'm going to piss people off or I'm not going to, everybody's not going to like me or my services are just, everybody doesn't need me. And you know, you don't need one of me in everybody's home. Like that was a really, I think, internal battle of, I think those are the two biggest problems that I have. But that, that second piece of not, understanding who I'm not serving and who my offers are not for was it that took me a while to figure out but that was definitely one of the the core issues that I was experiencing in the beginning yeah that makes a lot of sense and i i think it feels like to me that you know a lot of times when people are 
developing all these different kinds of offers, you know, kind of throwing things out there to see what sticks. Like you think that's what you're doing. You think, oh, eventually I'm going to narrow in on who I want to serve. Eventually I'm going to narrow in on the product that works. But every time you roll something new out, you're kind of muddying the waters and you're actually making it worse instead of making it better, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know I've had that problem before. I probably still do. Um, But I, I, yeah, I'm I'm loving hearing it from from your story and and your side of things because it's... um, yeah, it's, it's helping me see some things already in a new way. So let's talk about that day that you decided, okay, this is not working. I need to do something different. Tell us how you made the decision. What was going on? What was that circumstance that kind of put you over the edge and made you decide to go all in on your one core offer? Yeah, it was, um, it was after I quit my job. So, uh, you know, leaving corporate America, I didn't hate my job before. I actually loved being an engineer. I loved doing what I did in corporate, but I didn't really like, I feel like after I quit, it's like, okay, now I'm truly free. And I feel like maybe six months after I quit, I'm like, why doesn't it, why don't I feel like I'm in freedom? Like, I feel like I created a business that doesn't actually serve me as the creator and it was, I don't want to say it was a, like a, a one moment thing. It was like these series of events and this, this series of feelings and the series of I'm showing up and I'm serving, but I don't really feel lit up or I don't feel alive. And um, I'm a real big stickler on making sure that I'm always evaluating and looking at my metrics and my profit margins. I literally have them like plastered on my living room walls, um, kind of like visual management boards is what we used to do in corporate. That's what I did in my business. And I started seeing that, the effort that I was putting in was not producing the expected return on an investment and the profit margins. Just, I started noticing that like when I really started looking at all the offers I was creating and how much revenue was generated, what the profit margins were of each, it just wasn't adding up. So I was already internally feeling it. But then for me, I'm really big on making sure that those feelings and how I'm making decisions moving forward are based on data and metrics and facts. Um, I think both are important, but I feel like in business, I'm just really big on looking at the numbers. And when I really started looking at the numbers and looking at my profit margins, I realized that one, I'm able to serve a very specific demographic in a very specific way. And it, you know, it's producing like over an 80% profit margin versus all the other little things I was doing, how much time I was trying to give to creating the offer, how much time I was trying to, well, I wasn't trying, how I was giving to launching and selling the offer. It just didn't add up. So I had been feeling it for a while, but then um, when I really sat down and looked at the numbers, that was when I made the, like logically made the decision, but it still took me probably another six months to implement and act on that decision, mainly because of like fear and all this other stuff we can continue to talk about. But that definitely, I think, answers the first question. Perfect. Well, tell us about the offer that you did decide to go all in on. So that's what I'm known for now today as it's services that sell. And I realized that through creating, you know, four or five other offers that my sweet spot where I'm lit up the most and where I'm able to add the most value is helping um, underperforming service providers who are making less than $5,000 a month learn a very simple way to sell their services without complicated funnels, without having to create three or four different offers, without having to do paid ads or webinars or email sequences or any of the more traditional stuff that we see. Um, I'm really big on flipping the funnel. So instead of having like a low ticket offer, then a mid ticket offer, then a high ticket, 
I really believe if you're earning like less than 50K a year, the simplest way for you to like match or um, surpass your current nine to five salary is by focusing on solving a core problem for a minimum viable audience and selling it at, you know, a four figure price point, but just using live stream video and using sales calls and that's it. Um, And that's what I teach now inside of my program services that sell and it's really just me mimicking what worked for me when I actually figured out, like when I really started noticing revenue growth in my business, that's, I, it was really just getting back down to the basics and understanding the foundational things that every business really needs to, you need to know who you're selling to and you need to know how to sell to them before adding on all of the other, you know, other marketing tactics I think a lot of us are exposed to. I love that. And I am so glad that you are teaching that because so many people need to learn exactly what you just described. <laughs> it's so important. Um, that'll be another conversation for another day, but we're going to keep talking about streamlining for now. Um, was this an offer that you were already selling when you decided to streamline, or was this something that sort of came out of that streamlining process? So this is what I used to do one-on-one with clients in the very beginning. You know, I was helping them figure out how to package their offer and how to sell it. But I think at the time I didn't, I knew what I was doing, but I hadn't documented into like a process where somebody else could follow without me being present. So it was what I was doing one-on-one. And then it was components of all these other offers that I was selling. You know, I was trying to, I think, segment them down even more. So I had a program that was just about, um, you know, being, using Facebook live video as a standalone. And then I realized, People, okay, once they learn how to do live, they still don't know how, they don't know what offer they're selling and they don't know how to sell because they don't know their offer. So I, I, through the other offers I was creating, it was validating that, okay, Jay, this is, this is a full process and people need these two or three steps that you're giving inside of services that sell. So it was kind of a combination. Like it was, I'd say it was kind of a combination and just seeing the result of where students weren't succeeding and other offers that I had created, it was because they were missing this one piece And so, yeah, it was, I don't know, I guess it was like a combination of a few different things that led me to knowing this is the thing that I need to be doing. Yeah, I I really appreciate that you shared uh, this kind of, you had broken it down too far and you were trying to sell all the different pieces because I think that's a really common problem for people because it sounds like, oh, well, certainly people know they need to learn how to use Facebook Live to promote themselves and sell their services, Um, but do they? And is that as a, as good of a hook as it seems. No, just telling people, hey, I've got a really simple system that's going to help you sell your services and make over $50,000 a year. Like that's a really good hook. Yeah, (laughs) that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think that I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who can resonate with that um, kind of business model where you've broken things down really far to make it as easy for people to buy as possible, except they're not buying. And if we could just package that up into something that's more um, that people can understand better, that feels to them like, no, this is exactly what I need, not just one piece of what I need, that that's actually going to be the easiest thing to sell. So that's awesome. Let's, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was going to say like, and I think I was trying to, like I said, like mimic the traditional like Ascension mm-hmm. model funnel where like solve a small problem, then solve another small problem before you get to the big thing. And I mean, as a, one thing I have a core value of serving over selling. And I just started feeling this, like I, I started feeling like convicted by it. I'm, I, I'm so I, I'm like pacifying people's problems by breaking up the offer 
to sell it at some $97 price point or $497 thing versus I could package these three like core steps that I teach or four core steps that I teach into one offer because I know it'll actually solve a real problem that they have rather than just putting like Band-Aids on bullet wounds throughout the course of them building their business. And just for me, it just didn't align with the type of business model that I wanted to create and also just the value that I wanted to provide to the students that were investing in me. So that was definitely like the learning process for me there. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's talk about the feelings side of things here because you <laughs> you mentioned that earlier. And as someone who has streamlined their business model, I would say multiple times now <laughs> over the last 10 years, um, it is a it can be a terrifying process <laughs> because you're looking at all this stuff that you have the potential to sell, even if you're not actually selling, you have the potential to sell. And so you look at all that potential money and then you kind of pare it down and you think, okay, I'm, I'm going to go down to this one thing, but then you only see the potential money of that one thing. And at first it can look, like I said, terrifying. So how did you, what, what, can you walk us through the process of your feelings when it came to this decision? Like, cause I'm sure they evolved over time. Like, was it excited and then terrified and then excited again? Or how did, how did that go for you? Oh, uh, so I live in a, uh, an apartment with like cement floors. There were numerous moments of me laying on hard cement, crying, uh, like uncontrollably, because it was like when you make the decision to say, you know, I'm going all in on one thing. It's I think just be, in America, as in the Western society, you're you have options like endlessly for everything at your fingertips at all times. And to commit to say, you know what, I'm just doing one thing. And I haven't been, I'm not married yet, haven't been married yet. So I feel like it might be similar to choosing who your spouse is going to mm. be for the rest of your life. But that's what it felt like for me, for me at this point in my business. Cause the other things that I was selling, I knew how to sell them and they were making money and they were profitable. But when I really had to take a step back and say, okay, Jay, are you going to be trying to hustle in your business for forever where, yeah, you know how to sell and you know how to create an offer and you know how to get it out there, but like, you don't want to be hustling forever. And it was really a decision of, you know, I want this to be a legitimate business. I want to have a legitimate exit strategy in, you know, I, I want to have a vision of actually what I'm building beyond just the hustle of what I've been doing. Um, but I mean, that's why it took so long for me to go all in on it. Like it took, like I said, about six months and probably another fifteen or twenty thousand dollars of investment with coaches and other experts and consultants, and just testing out different things before I actually like fully committed to it. But there were moments of excitement because I'm like, oh, my business model during this season is going to be so much simpler, which will allow me to live the lifestyle that I ultimately want to be experiencing during this season in my life. But on the flip side. It was like, so I'm literally telling people, no, you can't buy my thing anymore. Or I'm sending out emails to my students saying, we're shutting down this platform. Um, download all your content because it's not going to be available anymore because we're getting rid of it. Like it was, I, it was this constant battle. Like I feel like in the morning time, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go take on the day. By lunch, I'm like laying on my couch or on my floor crying. because I'm like, am I making the right decision? I don't know. And looking back on it now, I'm like, there was probably a lot more like theatrical <laughs> dramatics that weren't maybe necessary. Um, but it just felt so concrete. And it's just like business is ever evolving. Like if I need to change this down the line, I'll change it. But I, I do believe that 
I, I need to go all in for a long enough time period for before I say this won't work for me. Um, and when I really look at the multiple other people that I know or have been exposed to who have been successful long-term, they had to make similar decisions. So I was just like, you know what? This is a moment. I'm ready to make the decision I, I, and I need to just go all in. But it, it was it was a roller coaster. I feel like I'm still dealing with the after effects. I'm just ha- able to handle my emotions a little bit better now versus I'm not on the floor crying well, as often. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're not on the floor crying as often. Um, although I can certainly resonate with the the roller coaster, as you said, the the theatrics of um, that up and down of yes, I'm excited. Oh my god, what am I doing? Yes, I'm excited. Oh my god, what am I doing? Um, we're going through changes right now, and I still feel that way. Although it's mostly excitement. We'll hear how Jerisha Hawk retired her old products in just a bit. But first, if this episode has you rethinking the way your own business works, you'll want to join us at the What Works Network for our next virtual conference on spring cleaning. In fact, our first speaker, business strategist and friend of the pod, Kyla Roma, is going to be sharing on how to streamline your business model. We'll be talking about what we should consider when we want to focus on a core offer, how to ensure that offer meets our profitability goals, and where we go wrong when we try to scale up our revenue. Now, if you're not yet a member of the What Works Network, now is the time to join. Kyla explains why she's a member. I'm a member because What Works connects me with experienced, insightful business owners. We get below the surface level and they can point me towards the right resources and help me ask the right questions at the right time. And that makes all the difference. To find out more about the What Works Network and request your invitation, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks powers brands like yours that bring people together. The way most small businesses run is a mess. Your content is spread out over a bunch of different platforms. Your products live somewhere else. Your community hangs out in a different space and your payment processor is yet another tool. Starting a Mighty Network can change all that. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, products, community, events, and payment processing all together. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business tidier. Start cleaning up your business and systems by starting your Mighty Network today. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. Um, okay, so I want to actually follow up with you on the piece about actually shutting down the old offers, because this is one place where I personally, I am terrible at this. I'm fine with stopping selling things, but I'm really bad at actually shutting things down. <laughs> you know, I like to streamline people into whatever it is that I'm doing next so that I don't have to shut anything or I you know, don't have to tell people no, which you said you did. So can you what what did the process of retiring your offers or shutting those things down actually look like? Can you give us a couple of examples of how you approached that? 
Yeah, totally. So I gave people about like a four month window of letting them know that the content would no longer be available through a series of emails. Um, so we started out like, you know, doing maybe two to like an e- two emails a month for the first three months, and then about four to six emails that last month, just letting them know that, you know, again, I approach it from the serving over selling. And I communicated to them that the the best way that we've been able to help individuals like yourself get the best results and not just pacify problems, but actually see real results and see real transformation is through another medium. And as we're ever evolving in our business, we want to be able to support you at the largest capacity that we possibly can. And and that now looks differently than it has been before. So, I mean, it, it was, I mean, some people were like, well, I want to buy this thing or I want to do this. And from a space of integrity, I just didn't feel right selling some of the things anymore because I just don't, just based off the data and based off the metric of past students, I mean, I just, I don't believe that some of these things would have actually really added any like positive value to their Mm -hmm. life. Like I think it would have kept them busy a little bit longer. I think it would have like allowed them to be in a space of like pacifying their problem for a little bit longer, but I don't think it would have solved the real issue. Um, And you know, I just was very, uh, transparency is another core value of mine. I was just very open about that. And I would just share that in those emails. So it was over the course of four months. And, you know, that's just, that's just how we did it. It was just through a series of email communications, but just being very honest, saying that this is what served us before, but this is not what's going to serve us any longer. And, you know, if you're this type of person, this is stick around. We have more amazing things for you. And if you no longer fit this demographic of, you know, where we can add value to you, like here's a button to unsubscribe. And here are also some recommendations of other people you might want to follow that might be able to support you during the season in your business. So that's how we did it. Damn, that's good messaging. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a serious masterclass on how you make a pivot. Uh, Perfect. I love it. I hope everyone listens to that four times and writes it down because if you're going to make a pivot in your business, that's how you explain it to people. Like you said, you were honest, you were transparent, you were, you were clear on what was still in integrity with you and what wasn't. And then you couched it so that people knew you were doing it for them and not for you. Uh, Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. I love it. Okay. (laughs) It felt so terrifying doing it. This feels so good now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm sure it was terrifying at the time, but man, brilliant. So good. Okay. I'm going to just let the mic drop on that because that was really good. Um, Let's talk about this minimum viable audience piece that you mentioned earlier, Um, because not only did you mention it earlier in this conversation, now you mentioned it earlier to me, um, where you went from, as you said, trying to sell everything to everybody. And in as you made this pivot, started thinking about what's the minimum viable audience for this? Who, who do I need in my corner to make this work? How did you determine who that was? And how did you determine what those people actually needed from you? Yeah. So um, one thing that I think is important in the beginning stages, like, so I've, I've been in business just over two years. So, I mean, I still feel like I'm in infancy stages, but I think a lot of the time in the very beginning, I thought I had to be perfect before I put my stuff out there. And it's interesting because having a background in engineering, you literally test and just experiment all day. Like everything is just an experiment. So I had to really adopt that mindset and that approach to my business versus like give yourself space to just experiment and see how things work. But one thing that I was really consistent on is every client that I worked with, I would always document what did I love about them? What made them good 
um, clients? What made them bad clients? What did I not enjoy about them? What specific results was I able to help this individual achieve? And what steps did I take to help this person achieve that result? And through like the, you know, six months to a year of testing all these different offers, um, I I had been documenting all of these things about clients that had been working, not been working, what had been profitable, what what wasn't profitable. And you start to notice similarities, like even down to a lot of my students may have normal names, but they spell them uniquely different. Like there was a commonality, (laughs) even like to that level of detail. Um, I noticed that, you know, my ideal clients, like I like to think about it. If you were to walk into a room and you could not speak, how would you be able to identify who your ideal clients were? Like getting that granular, like my people like red wine over white. They will dance. If music is on, they may not, they'll either be on the dance floor or they'll be like shimmying in their chair. They're school supply junkies. Like when they are at a conference, they will have a red pen, black pen, blue pen, post-it notes. They brought their own notebook and they're thrilled if you gave them one there. And they have like statement bags. Like they they normally have a statement piece, whether it's bags or shoes um, in their wardrobe. And I, I just, which I think uh, that might be a little bit more detailed than some are willing to go. But I, when I started noticing these similarities about when I got a certain group of people together and who I was best able to serve and the results I was able to consistently produce, that's what really helped me identify that like, this is my minimum viable audience that I need to focus on. So it was a series of, like I said, six months to a year of just giving myself freedom to say that, you know what, I don't know exactly who this is yet, but I'm going to try these different positioning, like, like messaging myself from different angles of positioning as I'm selling each time to see which one sticks, to see which one doesn't. And then just making sure that I had metrics on the back end to properly evaluate what I was doing rather than just like scr- throwing spaghetti at the wall and just not, you know, waiting for something to stick type of thing. Yeah. One, I love how much detail you know about your people. I love that kind of thing. And I'm so glad you do too. Um, And two, I also really love how uh, analytical you've described this whole process from beginning to end, whether it's looking at the metrics and really understanding where you're putting energy and where you're getting return on that energy, or whether it's looking at these patterns among your customers and looking at the documentation that you've done over the years. I think that level of analysis is so important. And it can sometimes seem like these kinds of decisions to retire all your old products and go all in on one thing or whatever big change you're making in your business. It can look like from the outside that it's a gut decision. Um, And unfortunately, I think sometimes for people, it is a gut decision. Um, But I really love how you're pointing out how much evidence you had um, throughout this process to really understand where you needed to go and what you needed to work on next. Um, Okay, let's talk about actually how you're marketing and selling this one offer as well, because I think streamlining a business model is not just about what you're selling, but also how you're selling it as well. So how are you planning out this next year in terms of marketing, promotion, sales campaigns? Can you give us a a feel for the ebb and flow of how you market services that sell? Yeah. So I think when I decide, or as I've been deciding to go all in on one thing, I've been looking at where can I remove myself from parts of the process. Um, I used to think it's like, oh, I want a passive business. That's what I want. And it's it's never, nothing's ever truly passive, but like, I'm glad that we're talking about streamlining and not how to pacify mm-hmm. your business by selling one thing. Um, but for me, I, I 
if you've read the book Clockwork, um, I attended their in-person event when they beta launched it, um, Run Like Clockwork. And one of the exercises that Mike Michalowicz um, is really big on is something called your QBR. It's like your queen bee role. Um, and I realized that my queen bee role is, you know, if I'm making, it's basically what is the one activity that you can do that no matter if you stopped everything else in your business, if you only could do literally one thing, what would that one thing be to keep your business in survival and still going? And for me, that's like content creation. I need to be speaking on podcasts or producing my own content. Like I need to be on a stage or behind a camera. I need to be speaking. So for me, it's like, okay, how can I start to either, um, you know, automate some other parts of my business? So right now for going all in on one thing, I have automated the sales process. So we're using, um, you know, webinars is the main driver for automating that and then getting people to a sales page. Um, we, we are thinking about introducing sales calls after people have watched the webinar. Uh, a lot of my students, if you're, are you familiar with the Colby assessment? Yes. Oh, okay. Awesome. So I'd say like 90% of my students are high fact finders. They either have, they have a seven or above in fact finder and follow through. Mm. Um, which again, I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> uh, so most of my students need lots of, they need um, lots of like micro touch points before they feel comfortable on, on buying. They just have lots of questions. And I just know that about my audience. So we are thinking about adding in a sales call where people can just hop on a, a call with somebody on my team to make that decision on whether or not services that sell is a good fit. So I've been getting, because before I used to do all the selling in live launches. Um, so that's one thing I have been working on taking off of my plate so I can focus on perfecting the content inside of our program and just being the one that's also able to be in the community nurturing my students. That's not something I ever want to pacify. Well, I shouldn't say ever. In this season, it's definitely something I don't want to get my hands off of because that stuff lights me up. But automating the sales portion through um, automated webinars and we're going to be potentially testing out Facebook, I mean, um, sales calls for people who need just a little bit more. Um, I've also created like an extended nurture sequence. So after somebody watches a webinar, let's say they don't buy. Uh, most people don't really do anything with those people after the fact. But we have created a, um, like a... a like an email sequence that continues to touch people for the next like four to six months where every month they're being re-invited to the webinar if they never watched it or they're being invited directly to the sales page to just go and purchase. So that way we're, we're able to kind of recoup another like three to 7% of sales just off that extended sequence because we're continuing to nurture them very, very intentionally like for that same offer. Um, those are some things I think there in regards to like lead generation, our Facebook, my Facebook group, my podcast and Facebook ads have been where we've been able to really like warm up cold leads to get them to a point where they're actually ready to buy. Um, so my Facebook group is really, really powerful. So when, at least for me, it's been very profitable and the podcast that I just launched um, a few months ago has been like I've noticed significantly, maybe before our sales cycle used to be four to six months. Now we're down to like majority of the people who buy discovered me in the last 30 days. Wow. Um, and I know, I, I mean, I really do attribute it to even the website, like literally everything, all of my content on my Instagram, on Facebook, on my website, everything speaks to the ideal client and speaks to the result that services that sell provides. So there's no website like if you go on my website, like all the content, all the copywriting, 
is all geared towards somebody who wants the result of what services that cell provides. All the content on my podcast, like basically all these funnels lead to just one thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's we like pretty much we've revamped everything. So everything speaks to this one person and speaks to the one result that we're getting. So if you get in like anywhere in my my sphere, that's the only messaging you're going to keep hearing like throughout the entire process. Brilliant. Um, are you doing any live launching at this point or are you really fo- just focused on that sort of constant uh, role of the automation? I will be doing a live launch in March because um, we've been automated for just webinar sales since August so for I don't know, four months. And I'm realizing, you know, you get more data. I've always sold to warm audiences before. This is my first time using ads and touching Mm -hmm. people who didn't know who I was Um, and getting them to buy something within 30 days. This is my first time doing it. So I'm realizing there's an opportunity for us to better position our offer to, you know, add value and speak to those cold audiences. But I still do plan to do at least like one live launch a year, um, whether that's in the form of you know, like a traditional online live launch where, where it's a live webinar, or um, I think down the line, we're going to be doing more events where there'll be live launches. But um, so I plan on doing a, a live one in another two or three months out um, just to figure out if that's going to help convert the cold traffic a little bit faster um, by repositioning the offer a bit. I love it. Uh, what are you really excited about this year? What what goals do you have or what kind of project are you working on right now outside of everything you just told us you were working on? <laughs> but uh, what are you excited about? Well, I just really believe that um, entrepreneurship is the bridge to economic equalization. Like, you know, being a woman of color, coming from a background where I was in a 1%, I was typically the only woman in the room, only woman of color in the room. Like when it comes to my the business and the students we get to touch, like I am super super pumped um, to help you know hundreds. Our goal is like about three hundred students be able to um, you know consistently sell their own four figure services, and that just is. I'm really really excited about that. Like I just believe entrepreneurship glass ceilings don't exist here except for the glass ceilings you put on yourself. I just think and truly believe anything is possible. So I'm just excited to be able to help more people do that. And because our messaging is so, I mean, it's just one thing, like if you're for us, you're for us and we'll be able to help you. So I'm excited to be able to help more people there. Um, I think personally, like, uh, I mean, I'm dating and we're talking a lot about marriage and this is something I've been very terrified of. Uh, I grew up without my parents, so I haven't really seen healthy examples of what love looks like. Um, and this is also part of the reason why I have been so passionate about simplifying my business because I want to be able to have space in my life to, you know, go to counseling and figure out this like love thing with another partner thing and to not be scared of like having children right now. That is definitely a fear because uh, just how I grew up and like what I saw as the norm um, and how chaotic it felt growing up as a child. So I'm excited about stepping into this like new stage of my personal life without some of these, like, like with, by, by, by removing some of these limiting beliefs of, um, and stories that I've always thought to be true, but experiencing that part of life differently than what I knew it to be before. I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. But, and I've never said that on a podcast before, but that that's a, that's an honest answer of what I, those are the two things that I'm most excited about right now. Well, that's incredible. And I love how everything you have shared today is clearly 
pointing to how your life um, and your thinking and your approach is just opening up to doing things that work. And so whether that's in your business or whether that's in your personal life, I think that's huge and so absolutely important. Jerisha Hawk, thank you so much for sharing what's working for you and, and just taking us behind the scenes of your streamlined business model. Thank you so much for having me and asking such phenomenal questions. Find out more about Jerisha Hawk at jerishahawk.com and listen to her podcast, Jerisha Said, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to What Works. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 180 other episodes of What Works, including curated playlists of popular topics at explorewhatworks.com.